Nosy Nancy's is a true crime podcast based in Austin, Texas. If you are sensitive to any of the trigger words, this is not the podcast for you. Due to its graphic nature, listener discretion is advised. Hey, all you nosies, I'm Aliqua. And I'm Jasmine, and welcome to Nosy Nancy's Season 2, Episode 5. I don't know if you're like me, like, where I don't, I just now started, like, watching the news or listening to the news. I'm, (laughs) I think it's because, like, once you start paying attention to the news, it's like, it's a maturity that you're, that you're, like, owning up to, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, before I just didn't give a shit, right? But now I, like, actually do, and I guess it's because I'm getting old. Did you hear about the, sh- the mass shooting that happened in Austin? I did not. You don't know about this? Honestly, oh. I don't watch the news except on TikTok. I follow that fish from SpongeBob, the breaking news fish. And he has shit that, like, I don't see anywhere else, but it's all devastating. I love that you get your news from a fish, a cartoon, an AI fish. (laughs) (laughs) He's got the the important facts. Well, clearly. No, so on Tuesday, uh, there was a guy whose name was Shane James. He was 34 years old, and and he lived in San Antonio, okay? And he was a previous, like, ex-military... The military, like, I think they kicked him out because of his mental health issues. He ended up killing his mom and dad Monday night. They think between Monday night and and Tuesday morning, he he killed his parents. God. Um, Yeah. And then he drove to Austin from San Antonio and shot up a, I think it was a junior high. It was, I don't know what like grade school it was but i know that it was a a school there he shot a security guard or a security officer at at the at the school and they called the cops and this was like this timeline was in the morning so this was probably around like 10 30 i think this is all south austin i don't think the security guard died but he did wound him and then he drove um to a subdivision in South Austin, and he ended up shooting and killing this handyman that was sitting in his truck outside of this house. He was, like, on a call for this woman's house, and she ran out, and I think he ended up shooting her, too, but I don't think she... I don't think it was critical. Um, but the guy in the... Yeah, the guy in the truck... Um, he did he did he did end up passing away so they called the cops there so this that was like 11:30 and uh by this time they still didn't connect that they were the you same know, person from the, right sometime a little after that i don't know exactly the timeline cuz i'm just going through like i'm going on memory the apd got a phone call about uh, from this man who was watching on his like home security system mm-hmm. uh somebody trying to break into his house and he called the cops because his wife and his like disabled daughter were in the house and he ended up breaking in. He ended up killing both the mom and the daughter. What the fuck? He shot a police officer as well, who was a detective who was trying to thwart his escape or whatever. I think he ended up killing six people and like sh- and like wounding a handful of others. Like I know there was a guy on a bicycle. Oh no, there was a woman. I think during the time when the guy, the handyman was was shot and killed, mm-hmm. there was a woman also like walking her baby in a a stroller and he shot and killed her as well. Jesus Christ. No, I know. It's like what the fuck? What causes people... So here's here's what's really fucked up about the whole situation. I mean, it's all fucked up, obviously. But, like, he was on... I believe he was either on house arrest or 
he was previously on house arrest and he cut off his monitor. And I believe, I believe that, um, it's only a misdemeanor. I think actually, I think what happened was that he was on house arrest a couple of like, like in 2022 and he cut off his ankle monitor and that was only a misdemeanor, which I think they should have thrown him back in jail. Yeah. Right? That's the whole point is to make sure that they're not stepping out anywhere else. So if you're cutting yeah. that shit off for it to just be like a little slap on the wrist, like, hey, yeah. don't do that again. That's ridiculous. No, so um, the mother and the daughter that were uh, killed in in the house um, invasion was um, Catherine Short. She was 56 years old. And Lauren Short, she was 30 years old. Ugh. Damn. I know. After he shot and killed Catherine and, and um, her, her daughter, Lauren, he ran off and they, they pursued him in a car, car chase, which he ended up crashing his car. And they, like, obtained him from there. But that was at, that was at um, Highway 45 and 1826. So this was down, going back towards San Antonio. That, isn't that fucked That's up, fucking dude? ridiculous. The fish didn't mention any of this to me. Yeah, because the fish is bullshit. But I want to know what makes people... Because that's, this is like a reoccurring thing where it's like mass shootings. And I just don't... Yeah. I want to know what makes people do that. I mean, obviously, not everybody has the capability. But I would hope that if it ever got to the point for me where just my mental stability was that bad that I thought about hurting other people I would kill myself rather than kill other people yeah. you know what I mean like I don't understand right. yeah I don't think we ever would understand because or ever will understand because we don't we're not here to like we don't want to kill anybody right you know exactly mean? we've never wanted to hurt other people like physically physically, yeah. physically. emotionally you know no, I mean, we just don't have that. It's just not on, in our nature. And I think that's what, you know, kind of, I don't know. I think they, people must be predispositioned for that kind of, like, violent behavior. I mean, I think so, right? Like, obviously, yeah, there's there's some f structure that e either, you know, dissolves or whatever that it takes place in, like, people's morality. Or maybe it never develops in the first place. God, my heart goes out to, to their family, and I'm sure there's going to be, like, the family of of all the victims, because there were six. Yeah. Um. So, I hope, you know, that our community can kind of, like, come, come together, together and, and support them. Yeah. Why do you think there's an increase of mass shootings? Now, more than ever, I think that, like, mental health issues are a lot more widely accepted, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, right. But still, it is difficult for people with those issues who don't have the income to seek help. So even though it's like people are more understanding of like depression and suicidal behavior and stuff like that, I mean, those people are still struggling to get treatment Right. We don't have great access to mental health care. Yeah. And or, I think, too. Or healthcare at all. Yeah. Or healthcare of any sort. Everything's expensive as shit. Todd and I were just talking about this the other day. Like, like in even for us, like, that's why this episode is coming out late or we're late. at least recording it later because we're both having to work double time because it's the holidays. And I'm having to work saturdays now throughout the holidays and you're having to work even more throughout the holidays and it's like now there's just hardly any free time at all so there is no work-life balance you're literally working to pay your bills in majority of people's cases like there is no free income to live a life or get to have experiences um yeah and i think like a lot of that don't require a college degree doesn't, um, you know, doesn't offer health insurance. You know what I mean? So yeah, exactly. 
it's fucked up. Like, even if you did have health insurance, is your job the type of job that's gonna let you get off to go to your doctor's appointments? Some places, like, they're like, no, your, your schedule is this, so you have to conduct your personal business around the work schedule. You know, I mean, I've God. worked at jobs like that, and it's like, when are you supposed to take care of yourself? Heaven forbid I ever get diagnosed with something, because if, look, I'm gonna go purposely walk in front of a city bus so that they hit me and I get the fucking insurance yeah. <laughs> money from that so, I can get, so they can so get taken care of yeah could take care of my ass yeah some people can't even afford you know to go to the doctor and and pay the fucking the copay oh I mean people are living fucking paycheck to paycheck just paying like rent and utilities well no I, uh, you know, I go to the cardiologist every year, and sh I just pay it out of pocket. Fancy girl. And it's, well, it's not. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. Ugh. Having to see a cardiologist. <laughs> 36, that's when I started. No, I think it was like 35. I turned really? 35, and I was like, yeah. I turned 35, and I was like, uh, I am dying. My heart is, <laughs> is, is <laughs> I have a heart problem. Did I ever tell you about this? I was, okay, so when I was, like, I guess it was in 2018, um, I started getting, like, you, you ever get that feeling where, like, your heart, like, skips a beat? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, okay, well, it's called a pre-ventricle contraction, and it's actually an extra, it's actually an extra heartbeat, and apparently, this is what my cardiologist told me, Everybody gets them and it's super normal, but I was getting them like all the time. And it was like, it felt like every like minute I was having one. Really? And yeah. And I thought I was going to like, literally, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> this is like way too much for, for one little heart to take. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, I went and I got like, you know, I wore like a heart monitor for two weeks. It was like in between my tits and it was really uncomfortable. Was, <laughs> the tape like was like was irritating my skin and then I got an echocardiogram where she it's like basically a sonogram of your heart and you could see your little heart muscles like thumping around and which gave me anxiety right there anyways I was like fuck this I don't want to look at I'm like sitting there with my eyes closed because I don't want to see my heart <laughs> I don't want to like see myself I don't want to watch it beat <laughs> yeah right I don't want to see myself like die on this table right yeah um so I I did that and then so I go in after two weeks for my results and she sits me down and she goes, she goes, okay, well, um, your heart's, you know, your heart's good. Your echocardiogram was great. Nothing, nothing interesting was happening. And I was like, okay, I guess. And then she was like, now these are called preventricle contractions. She goes, everybody gets them. Um, you just are so in tune with your body that you feel them. And I go, oh, really? I go, do you get them? And she goes, no. <laughs> I was like, God damn it, dude. Of course. I was like, oh, of course you don't. And you no. Know, like, <laughs> she, goes, she goes, no. Um, it's my fun little story. So I have to go see her this, this next month. Should we get into this? Let's get into it. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to be talking to you. I'm going to be telling mm -hmm. you. About yeah, tell me something good. Uh, it won't be good, but I'll tell yeah, you something. Okay. So I'm going to be telling you today about the murders of Phyllis Budo and Martha Reed. So in the 1970s, uh, Austin pretty much like doubled in size, kind of overnight, almost. Um, there was hmm. just a lot of change in the culture that was taking place, mm -hmm. uh, and it drew in just waves of people. Kind of like what happened in, like, 2012. Yeah. Or 2010. Yeah, exactly. So, like, uh, the shifts drew in, like, just ma a massive amount of people in a short amount of time, and all of a sudden, you know, more people, more opportunities for crimes to take place. Yeah. So, in 1975, APD began to witness more of what they dubbed faceless crimes. And what does that mean? 
So faceless crimes were just crimes committed without witnesses or many clues. And the perpetrator just pretty much could never be identified and would slip into the sea of anonymous people right. because they never could talk to anybody who, who could pinpoint exactly who it might be. Two crimes took place in 1975. The first was Phyllis Budo. Okay. His crimes are eerily similar. And All right. I'll mention a little f not so fun fact <laughs> near the end that makes just kind of kind of all the the Austin cold cases that took place around this time kind of a little more interesting. Um, yeah, like there might be like a serial yeah. killer. Not to interrupt you too much, but like, I mean, I think I believe the first one I did, the first cold case I did in Dallas. Like, the same thing was happening then, and I think it was, like, in 1976. Yeah. I mean, it's totally possible that, that all these could be, you Related. Know, in Texas. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, Austin to Dallas, that's a that's on I-35. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really interested in, in, um, in how, like, how these, these were carried out, because if they're similar, then maybe we could help close the case actually they are pretty uh similar to the first one that you did um, oh shit so i'll start off with phyllis budo because she was the first so phyllis okay. phyllis was a 21 year old apartment manager living with her husband juan budo jr who was a first class airman they lived on banister lane together uh, Juan had gotten off work and um, came home for lunch. He was accompanied by his brother, Michael. And upon arriving, Juan called out, you know, to Phyllis, who was at home. And he didn't hear her respond. He went up to the curtain that they had separating the living room area from the bedroom, expecting her to maybe be sleeping. Uh, so when he peeled the curtain back... He found his wife in bed, naked, except for some green socks that she what? had on, covered what in blood. Oh, no. The autopsy report had concluded that Phyllis was killed somewhere between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. She'd been stabbed nearly a dozen times in her arms, chest, back, and in her neck. Her pinky... Oh was nearly severed with the knife as she covered herself <gasps> defensively. Oh, no. Uh, she had a stab wound in her back, so I'm assuming that she was stabbed originally maybe in the back and then right. fell on the bed and turned over, but there was a stab wound in her back that was so strongly afflicted that it nearly created an exit wound on her oh. chest. Ew, what the fuck? Yeah. No. Um, the oh fatal stab wound was made in her throat coming through from the left side and hitting the back right. Nicking oh her, God. her jugular. Oh. Uh, the murder weapon was determined determined to be a hunting knife. There was nothing found at the scene, and even though she was naked, there wasn't any evidence of any sexual assault. There was no forced entry, so the police kind of believed like that she knew her killer. They had a heavy focus at first on Juan, her husband. Right. Um, his right. arrival time to work did put him home for a, a big block of the estimated window of time that she might have died. So two days after the murder, Lieutenant Jordan was pretty confident that the killer would be found. And he gave a statement declaring that they would be able to, to lock up who did this within a week or two. They had had several people set to take polygraph tests. And although one person, which I never really found out who, but one person exhibited partial guilty knowledge. Um, what does that even mean? Partial? Like, to me, that means that they failed enough questions that 
was suspicious. They, yeah, they may or may not know something, but because there was kind of a lack of motivation and witnesses, um, I d I'm not sure how they ruled Juan out, but they eventually did. The crime just kind of, you know, they really didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, and as crime in Austin continued to skyrocket and they had to kind of shift their focus, Phyllis's case kind of fell by the wayside right? for as quite so, some time. As, as so many have and do and yeah. did. Yeah, exactly. So several months later, on June 23rd of 1975, Martha Reed, who also was an apartment manager. Oh, 20, okay. 25 years old, was at her newly acquired apartment with her mother and her six-month-old son. Oh. She had only gotten this apartment literally like a few weeks prior. Um, her husband, who also was a United States airman. What? Uh, yeah. Was... At work, she was waiting for him to be discharged, and he was going to be discharged on July 1st, so they, she had just gotten this apartment, her mom's there helping her with her brand new baby, baby. Right. and um, she's awaiting her husband's return home. That is so weird that they both are apartment managers. Yeah. And, and that they're both their husbands did the same thing. Both airmen. Yeah. Yeah. On July 23rd, at around 11 a.m., there was a knock on the apartment door. Martha went and answered the door and returned to the room where her mom was, explaining that there was a prospective tenant at the door, and she was just going to show him an apartment real quick. It was in the apartment mm -hmm. building that they were living in. That's how we did it. And, <laughs> and she grabbed the keys. Uh, oh. And she said, I'll, it shouldn't be any more than a few minutes and I'll be back. Her mom's sitting there like an hour's passed and Martha still hasn't come back. Her mom didn't want to leave the baby or, or take the baby out to go look for her. So she flagged down a neighbor, the, a guy named Bill, and asked Bill. If, if he would go look around for Martha. So around 12.15, about an hour and 15 minutes after she left, Bill entered a vacant apartment Immediately in the entryway, he saw blood and he followed the trail back where he found Martha on the floor, on her knees, with her head and upper torso slumped against the bed that was still like, I'm assuming it was a furnished apartment. Uh, she had also been stabbed 14 in times. Oh my God. That's uh, so, what the fuck? All the stab wounds were above the waist and she had her throat slashed to the point where it was almost cut all the way through. Ooh, oh. Martha, she was fully clothed. She didn't appear to have been sexually assaulted at all. So these weren't sexually motivated crimes, but obviously they were crimes of passion. Like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, whoever did this was like, had something beef with their mother or somebody, or maybe their wife. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, something. There Clearly, there was a hatred for, for women. For women. So unlike with Phyllis, because Phyllis didn't have any witnesses, Martha did have people at the apartment complex hear her screams. They told police. Uh, yeah. They told and police. Did well, they told police that they just assumed that it was children playing at the pool at the like apartment complex pool, and they just really didn't think anything of it. This is what I don't understand because I don't know about you, but every time I've gone to look f for a new apartment, I've never gone to somebody else's apartment. Like I've always gone to the office, right? So that's really weird that like, they would come to. Yeah, like, who directed him to her apartment? Yes. Especially if she's not, like, working at the time. I mean, it seemed like she was... I mean, if she was at home... I mean, I would assume... This was, like, around 11 a.m. that someone came knocking, so... I don't know if it was, like, a lunch break, and she maybe, like, left a sign, like, if you need anything, maybe. I'm in this apartment oh. or whatever. I'm not sure. Maybe. Um... 
it is interesting that they would come directly to her apartment door. Right. If that's the case, like, I th- maybe that happened to Phyllis, too. Maybe this was around the same time each right. time. I mean, they do seem like they are connected just by just by the victims' careers alone. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And how they were both killed. There was one neighbor who was living underneath the apartment that Martha was murdered in. Um, mm-hmm. He heard enough that he did kind of go upstairs and take a look around. He knocked on the door. He didn't hear anything. He didn't see anything. So he just went back home. <gasps> a few if minutes. Imagine if he would have opened that door. I know, right? A few minutes later, though, he heard somebody coming down the stairs and he opened his front door to look out. He said he saw a younger, light-skinned black man ascending the steps. But he really, like, it didn't trigger any red flags at the time because the man was so calm and unhurried. Like, he was... just like he was just leaving the house to go to the store. Like he wasn't in a rush. Um, and right. he didn't see any blood, which to the police, they would just kind of were like, okay, well, n- neither of the sinks in the apartment had been used to like wash anything off. So this person would have had to have had some kind of, they would have, yeah, they would have definitely had some sort of blood right. on them. Uh, there's been studies with people who like serial killers and psychopaths who people who are who are psychopaths like, their heart rate is always lower than the normal person so they stay calm when like other people would be like freaking the fuck out yeah you know exactly I mean? so i mean it just because he's calm that's not a like i don't indicator think that's that an indication. that's yeah. yeah the description that was given uh to police of this guy was maybe 25 or younger light-skinned black man about 280 pounds with a short afro hairstyle and sideburns extending past his ears and he did have a mustache also and he was somewhere between 57 and 59 if he saw him enough to notice that he had a mustache that means he saw the front and the back of him right what? I guess when you told me that he saw him walking away, like walking down the no, stairs. No, he was walking down the stairs. So he was coming off the second floor. This guy's apartment is pretty close to the stairwell. Probably got just a good look at the front of him. I would imagine. I mean, I guess yeah. he could have seen the back of him. Well, I mean, if he saw the front of him, then I, I, I would think, you know, if, if you just stab somebody, like blood splatters. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And I would assume that this guy, if would have, you know, blood splatter on his face, on his chest, on his, you know, on his hands. Right. At the very least. Anywhere. Especially if the police said that, that there was no, the sinks weren't used. To although wa- I don't know how yeah, they. Yeah, to wash anything yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how they would know that, but maybe. Well, I mean. I don't know. Like the, the sinks were dry in the apartment. No water had been turned on. Yeah, but how do you know that? Because you could just turn on a sink and then just wipe it down, can't you? Probably might not have been all the way planned out because, like, how right. would you know if if she would be available to take you or to which apartment right. you would go? But right, maybe right, right, right. maybe they could have. I mean, depending on how much they had thought it out. I'm just going to trust that the forensics guys knew what they were talking about with, with, the, with the sink. Well, also, it was 1975, so how hard were yeah, they working? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but so police did release a the composite sketch of um, the suspect two days later. Um, and they started a line of questioning with different apartment managers around Austin. Uh, mm. Police did find out. This is where it gets interesting. Okay. So police did find out that about a week before Martha's murder, another young apartment manager, whose name is unknown, was approached. Another one? Yeah. Was approached by a man who was asking about one-bedroom apartments. Now, this man, she said, didn't really seem like he was serious. (laughs) And 
she started getting like kind of a really bad feeling because he went from asking about one bedroom apartments to suddenly he was like, what about a three bedroom apartment? So she just kind of was like, okay, um, I'll go show you, you know, what we have available. She walked him to an apartment and she unlocked the door, but because he had given her that kind of bad, bad vibe, she right. was like, you go in and take a look and I'll just stay out here. So, for her. yeah, right? So she said that she saw him walk to the back bedroom and he stayed there for a f long fucking time. She knew that he was back there so long because he was kind of hoping that she would come check on him. Right. So instead, what she did was she called out. She saw some other lady walking around. She called out to the lady, like, making small talk about the weather or whatever. Just letting right. him know that, like, there's people out here. Letting him know that she's not also going to go in there. Like, right, exactly. I'm not going into this fucking apartment with you, idiot. Yeah. Creepo. So the man then came out of the apartment. Didn't Good even her. Didn't even look at her. Started immediately walking away. She started acting like so, or started asking like, "Are you interested?" He just completely ignored her. <gasps> no, that was him, dude. That I bet you anything that was him. So the description that she gave was that it was a younger, light-skinned black man who did match the description that was given to the police of the man coming down the stairs. Oh fuck. So the day after this incident, right. police found out that a, another apartment manager, another young apartment manager lady, also had a run-in with a man matching this description who was asking specifically about second-story rentals. Ooh. He was asking about whether or not there was anybody living next door or underneath these vacant ones. Okay, gotcha. Which Phyllis was murdered in their own apartment. Yeah, which is which is kind of strange. Maybe if this was the same guy, maybe he realized he cut it really close because if the husband came home shortly after, it seems like this guy is just doing it in broad daylight. Right. Yeah, the like all of these incidents are taking place in Within between 7 a.m. and 12 p.m. So these right. are all like earlier morning. Right. Before people really were starting to to come out or get off work or anything. And maybe apartments were like, maybe apartments were different back then. Where maybe they did have people on call. And maybe the pe the managers didn't like stay in the offices all, all day. You know what I mean? Like I would assume. Well, but. I... I do know that the because of these two cases, the I can't remember who like the heads the Department of Apartments, but somebody right. somebody who gives the rules to the apartment offices and managers. After these right. cases took place, they did just begin requ requiring um, people's identification. In order to come see the apartment. Uh, so they didn't okay. even have that in place whenever this was going on. That's right. I forgot. I haven't, you know what? I haven't lived in an apartment since 2014. So like, I don't even remember the way, like, but yeah, you do. You have to have your ID and stuff. I yeah. Give that. identification and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They didn't even have at the time that these were taking place where you even had to show who you were. Right. Ah, that's crazy. Um, so this, this other lady, uh, whose name is also unknown, she was approached by a man who was asking about the second story rentals. She started getting a bad vibe from him again. And <sighs> so she was walking around opening the doors for him, telling him like, go ahead and, you know, take a look. I'll stay out here. And just refusing right. to enter with him. She said that he, her. he started getting noticeably upset. And after she showed him about like four units, he just like left. He just walked out, left, didn't say anything to her, didn't look at her and just like heatedly walked off. 
Ooh, that's that gives me the fucking chills, man. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. On July 30th, which was about one week after Martha Reed's death, police just began canvassing like all of the apartment complexes <laughs> in Austin, just doing yeah. anything because they had absolutely fucking nothing to go on. Um, the chief of police pleaded in the newspapers that if anyone had even a suspicion of somebody that they know who could have committed these crimes to please come forward, they were offering a $5,000 reward for any information leading up to the arrest of a suspect for these cases. They received yeah. 33 tips, um, which did create some leads, but ultimately... They didn't lead anywhere. Uh, oh, that's got to be so frustrating because you know somebody knows this guy. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Police also decided that the sketch of the suspect, fuck it. Like, this could be any, this could be fucking anybody. Like, don't look right. for a specific race. Look into anybody. So right. they really, like, were trying as hard as they could to track down somebody on this case. That's, that's dangerous though. It's like, that's why people, innocent people end up in prison. It's because the police get so like, they get so much pressure brought on them from the mayor and, and other uh, city officials that like yeah. to solve a case. Literally we'll take anybody. I agree. <laughs> I agree with that. You know? I agree with that. Yeah. So ultimately the trails grew cold. No one was ever found in relation to, to these murders, but in December of 1975, police received a total of eight calls from young apartment complex managing women stating that a man with a Latin American accent would call between the hours of 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. claiming that they needed to come to the laundry room because there was a woman who was hurt. Ooh. Like trying to lure them into Ew. more desolate areas of the apartments. None of the Ooh. eight women who called the police believed this person, luckily. Um, but no w woman was ever found to be injured in the laundromat in relation to these calls. Uh, yeah, and they didn't have fucking caller ID back then. Or yeah, exactly. exactly. No one was ever arrested or questioned surrounding these calls either. They never found out who did it. Um, right. And then they did find also a team of two younger black men um, who were coming to apartment, apartment complex offices. One of them would express interest in renting an apartment and while being shown the apartments the other would enter the office and ransack it and take money or whatever other valuables um but that's not that's not murder yeah that was the only real lead that they had in these cases but i mean right. obviously like it was i mean the motive there was robbery like neither of these men murdered anybody like nothing got out of hand this was expressly right. an individual who who did these crimes um and the fact that i mentioned earlier is that someone else who i had covered this season deborah sue reading her murder yes. took place within a two block radius of these crimes <gasps> But so, she was she was sexually she was, she was sexually assaulted. Yeah, she was right. sexually assaulted. So she was the one who like 20, 40 years later, uh her yeah. coworker was arrested and, and the charges right. were dropped. Um yeah. I really think it was her coworker. I do I really do. I do too. But I just think it's interesting and these No, that's super interesting. Also happened off of like I-35. So they were pretty close to I-35 as well. That guy was a serial killer. Right. He knew what he was doing. He probably, I wonder if, I wonder if we're going to, I mean, I wonder if there's any more in Texas like that. Yeah. Not just Austin. I mean, he probably got picked up for something else in the seventies, you know, for whatever petty shit, but well, well I will, I will also say, um, that 
I don't really have my notes together for her, but yeah. uh, there was another lady who, like, hardly anything has been, um, hardly anything has been posted in the media regarding her case, except for very recently. Um, mm. But there was another lady, Vicki Palmer, who yeah. June 7th of 1977 was working as a bookkeeper at the Tiger Corporation Waste Management Company, which this was on Shoal Creek. But she, she left work at 1130 complaining of like knee pain, but she was actually going to her apartment home in South Austin to change for a job interview. So at around uh -huh. like 1215, a neighbor of hers saw her come home and about five minutes later, she thought she saw her leaving the apartment, but she said that the woman leaving had her face covered with a brown paper bag. What? And then all of a sudden, the neighbors smelled smoke at around like 1240. Someone had intentionally burned Vicki Palmer's apartment. Apartment. Like set it on fire. Are you telling me that somebody went in there, killed her, set up her fucking apartment on fire, and dressed in drag and ran out? Yeah, dressed in drag, put a bag over their head, and left. <gasps> so there was there was um, there was no evidence of rape in in Vicky's case as well. <gasps> was and she then, stabbed? I'm trying to find out because I really did not oh my have my God. This is blowing my mind i didn't know there were so many cases like this in austin because it doesn't even say autopsy shows that there was no smoke inhalation what a trippy episode this is oh. i don't know well we can revisit her later too you know what i mean but like wow that is nuts. And she was in South Austin too. She was in South Austin also. Now, in her in her case, she was actually like onto some shady shit that her work had going on. She had found some evidence of financial embezzlement that she was looking into. Um, mm. So there may have been another motive for her murder there. For her death. Yeah. But. I mean, that also was pretty close to where to where yeah, these women a, were found. So What a coincidence. But, I mean, if you're a trained killer, let's say if you're a hitman, like, that is smart to dress up, like, as a woman or in her clothes and running out. Like, that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I always thought, like, if I was going to commit, rob a bank or commit a crime, I would, like, first of all, I'd get, like... <laughs> Five pairs of spanks make myself look way skinnier. <laughs> like wear like seven inch heels, so people think I'm like over five foot one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, just, just or like do it up. Like, yeah, do it up, and like maybe dress as a man. You know, so they're yeah. looking for a completely different person. No, I'm so glad we decided to do cold cases in Austin. I mean. I feel like we were getting more listens with, with the Lady Bird Lake stuff, but, mm -hmm. like, I feel like this is something that, like, that, like, we could possibly help more with. So, yeah. Because a lot of these cases, you know, as crime continues to happen, just like with Phyllis Budo, like, police departments have to kind of shift their... What? God, why am I fucking brain dead? <laughs> Yeah, they have to shift their focus. Yeah, they have like, to shift like, their <laughs> Yeah, they yeah. have to shift their focus <laughs> on shit that they could could potentially <laughs> Right. And also and we like I we know from, from just working with uh Margolin with the with the missing person stuff, like they only have one detective for missing people in Austin. Yeah. So if they only have one person for missing people, one detective, how many fucking homicide detectives do they have? actually have right not a lot i don't think and cold cases forget about it yeah like, all right well man so this case that i have is actually pretty interesting too and it's still cold um but this took place in um in houston outside of houston on um on august 22nd 1990 
the bodies of 22-year-old Cheryl Henry and her boyfriend, 21-year-old Garland Andy Atkinson, were found in an undeveloped wooded area of western Harris County where young people often went to park and kiss. <laughs> it was affectionately known as Lover's Lane. All right. Hey, if you're going to kiss, um, it might as well yeah. be with a lover. Yeah, on Lover's Lane. Yeah. Um, Andy was found tied to a tree and nearly decapitated. Detectives told his father that Cheryl was killed first. Um, which means he was tied to a tree and listened to her scream, listened to her being murdered, knowing that he w- that they were going to do the same thing to him and he couldn't do anything about it, Garland Atkinson said. That's hard to accept. Honestly, um, that would be like the worst. Like, kill me, okay. But if I had to listen to, like... I don't even want to think about it. So Cheryl was also, like, sexually assaulted. So he had to hear oh her God. being sexually assaulted and then and then, and then then murdered. Like, and, yeah, I think that's, like... That, and then on top of that, the anticipation of knowing that you're next. Yeah. Ugh. The killer used Andy's golf balls and golf club to point the way to Cheryl's naked body found hidden under wooden boards, a $20 bill lying nearby. God. So Cheryl had been sexually assaulted and her throat was also slashed. Billy Belk, a a now retired Houston police detective, spent 20 years trying to solve the case. This case stayed with me because it's one of the few cases that I never cleared. It's like I left unfinished business when I retired, Belk said in 2013. Um, on the night of their murder, Andy and Cheryl were with her sister at a bar called Bayou Mama's Nightclub. When Cheryl didn't come home by the next morning, her family called Houston police. Different accounts say Andy's car was found by a security guard, and others say his car was found by a Cisco truck driver. Either way, inside of Andy's car, they found Cheryl's shoes and purse before finding their bodies. Billy Belk had his theories of who could have done such a heinous crime. Sometimes I think they were targeted. Cheryl was tied up more than Andy was, even though he was tied to a tree. She put up a fight, Belk said. Sometimes I wonder if there are two or three suspects. Belk traveled around the country trying to find the suspect. He compared DNA samples found at the crime scene with that of known criminals. I would say at least 25 potential suspects' DNAs. I would say DNAs. <laughs> There's only one DNA. I would say that at least 25 potential suspects' DNA has been compared, Belk said, but all were ruled out. KHOU 11, a Houston news station, also dug up a report by FBI profilers. Here are some of their theories. The suspect may have known Cheryl or Andy or both. Um, He was about the age of the victims. He had above-average intelligence, but was a low achiever. Police may have interviewed him at one time. That's pretty common, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. It also states that the covering of Cheryl's body speaks of, of a prior personal relationship and that the suspect may not have intentionally meant to kill Andy. Uh, I don't know, because, I mean, he almost decapitated him. Uh, yeah, I would think that's pretty fucking, like... Yeah, intentional, but what do I know? The week after he retired, Belk got the call that he'd been waiting 17 years for. DNA evidence from semen found in Cheryl's body had been matched to DNA collected in the the unsolved 1990 rape of a 30-year-old exotic dancer who worked at Gigi's, a topless club on Northwest Freeway. This is when it gets really really interesting okay so cheryl at the time of her death worked at a similar club called rick's cabaret um which is which was on bearing uh about eight miles away from Gigi's, where the where the sexual assault took place um andy's father managed another gentleman's club which at the time was called dream street where andy often worked the bar and that was also about two miles away from Rick's Cabaret and about five miles from Gigi's. So if you look on the map, it's kind of like a triangle. They're all in the same vicinity of each other. Right. The fact that the the person who did that, like, left the $20 bill. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that sounds like something, like, 
I feel like he knew both Andy and Cheryl. Right, exactly. In 1990, the woman told police she left her job at Gigi's nightclub and went to her boyfriend's house in northwest Houston. A man showed up and said he was looking for the boyfriend who owed him money. Then he pounced. The attacker put her hands behind her back and wrapped them in duct tape. He also covered her eyes and mouth with tape and put a bag over her head. She said he he then kept pulling the trigger, taunting her as he cocked it and uncocked it over and over and over. So I ah, guess he that's had That's terrifying. Yeah. I guess he had a gun and he was like pointing it at her head and like just ugh, that's horrible. Horrible. And she lived. So she's still probably I mean like could you uh, like living through that and then like the PTSD that would come from something like that? That's so Yeah, that's torturous. fucking awful. Terrible. Um, I hope she's okay. I know, and I hope this motherfucker, like, gets caught. Yeah. The victim described the rapist as late 20s to mid-30s, about 6 feet tall, 180 pounds, with black hair and an olive complexion. He had a black fishnet stocking over his head, wore black gloves, a dark shirt, and dark pants, possibly a uniform. She said he had a very forceful military-type stance. Eventually, the woman's attacker took $250 from her purse, disconnected her phone, and left. Okay, so I'm thinking this guy knew who she was, knew that her boyfriend was out of town. Yeah. I think he, I think he was, like, a patron of, like... Of the cabaret. Of all of them. Yeah, of where Andy worked, of where this girl, you know, the victim, the 1990 victim worked, where Cheryl worked. I think he knew all of them. No, I I would definitely agree. So I had to be someone yeah. with like a bit of income to be going to those places and like throwing money around, I would think. Absolutely. I mean, he took $250 from from uh this unknown woman, but but like I but I mean, he could have done that just to throw off the police, Yeah. you know, looking for a burglary that went wrong or whatever. The victim helped famed HPD sketch artist Lois Gibson create a sketch of her attacker, which was also aged to depict what he might have looked like in 2008. In the 90s, yeah, in the 90s, DNA testing was still very new and expensive to run. It would take the police department 17 years before the investigators would run the DNA and find the match to the Lover's, Lover's Lane's murder. The Houston Police Department eventually located the first victim in Galveston County, and upon interviewing her, they found another link. The woman at one point in time had worked for Andy's dad. Really? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously this is, I mean, that's what I'm saying is, like, they're all so connected, like, there's no way that this was just, like, an anonymous. I mean, they may. Yeah. Right. They may not have known him well, but I guarantee you they they knew him from the club. Like, I'm sure that they, you know. Even with all the new information and interesting connections and DNA evidence, the case still remains unsolved because the perpetrator's DNA isn't in the system. Um, I think they're hoping that, like, they can catch him through Familia DNA. Yeah, like, like the the, like the Golden State Killer, right? Um, so if you are listening, and you're taking get, a DNA test off yeah. line, <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're a listener, if you're interested get, in your genealogy, yeah, go get your DNA tested so we can catch. Maybe you might have a killer in your in your family. I don't know. I probably do. Um. <laughs> Mine's guaranteed. Yeah. Oh, are you kidding? With your biological father? Hell yeah. I know it. I know it. If you can help with this case or any other unsolved cases, please contact Houston Police Department's Cold Case Squad or Crime Stoppers at 713-222-TIPS-8477. And that's that. That's fucking insane. Is that crazy? I mean, like, how are they all connected like that? I guarantee you this guy, like, I know we didn't stop with just Cheryl and Andy. Right. 
Especially right. because, like, that industry is so, like, people become infatu so infatuated. Yeah, they do. They really do. Um, wow, what a, this was a, this was a good episode. I know, really episode. this episode just had a lot of connections and just. It did. Yeah. It did. It's, it's, uh, it's mind-boggling to think that they're, they remain unsolved, but. For how long? I know, yeah. but I mean, if you look, if you look at the, like, the, the Ladybird Lake drownings and stuff, like, is it amazing that they're this unsolved for this oh, long? Oh, okay. Because, like, well, true. You know? Like, <laughs> okay. It, yeah. It, All right. Great. But it, it does seem like back in the 70s, there was more attention to cases. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that they actually, like, tried to do their, their best I mean, I think so for the too. time, but they, at that time, they just didn't have a lot to work with. You know, they didn't, technology yeah. wasn't as advanced and right stuff right. like that. And I feel like, especially, I feel like we saw during last season with the Lady Bird Lake cases, it just seems now like it's a lot of like, we'll start, but we're, we're really reaching out to hope that you guys can finish, you know? Yep. I, I agree. I think they like with the Ladybird Lake cases, especially it's like, it, it's kind of like a, like a perfect storm. It's, it's not enough people working, um, the cases and, and not enough funding yeah. for the proper equipment to like, to make, you know, or, or an autopsy for, for the men that were found drowned. And then also, um, just like the city of Austin, just not taking responsibility in their part of keeping, you know, the lake safe or the area down by the lake safe. Um, right. I know we keep saying this every couple episodes, but like, it is amazing that we haven't found anybody else in the lake. So knock on wood, like, I feel like we're doing pretty good with that. Um, with that, I guess let's go ahead and uh, do the missing person. All right. All right. So um, this week's missing person is a woman named Erica Flores. Um, she was born on November, um, 1979. She's 43 years old. Um, she is Hispanic. She has brown eyes, um, but she may have colored contacts. Um, she has black hair. She's five foot eight. She's 150 pounds. Um, she likes to wear a bandana or a wig. She's driving a 2010 blue-green Mazda 3. The Texas plates are PLY1656. Um, her car is uninsured, um, and she is driving with a possible suspended license. She has an atrophied arms and legs. What is atrophied? Loss of muscle, basically. Oh, okay. So, like, thinner, thinner arms and legs. Um she may have two dogs in the vehicle, um, a German Shepherd named Rebel and an American Pitbull named Chico. And she may be seen with, a, with an Asian-American male, 50 years plus, um, black hair, by way of California, covered with tattoos on both arms. Likes to carry various assortments of knives on person. Um, may be seen as an authorized driver of Mazda 3. This seems like a pretty uh, dire case. Yeah. If you see her, if you can contact the Austin Police Department, um, th her family is missing her. So we'll try to help her as much as we can. And I think that concludes our episode. Our episode. Our little, yes, little episode. Our, our little, little episode. Sorry it was late, but we were busy. Oh, we were busy as fuck. I know. I have to get off here and start working. I know. I really <laughs> have to start working on the house because I haven't just ha time. Time is it's not on our side. My... No, it's not. It's not. Ain't on nobody's side. What is that movie with Denzel Washington and like they play that song and it's like jumping from person to person? Do you know what I mean? Uh, no. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no. I know that Denzel Washington was hot. He's a hot, he was a very good looking man, but that's about it. Okay. If you do like our, our episode, if you do <laughs> like our, if you do like our podcast, you can follow us on Instagram. 
It's Nosy Nancy's. Yep. And you can also join our Facebook group and our page. You can follow our page on Facebook as well. It's Nosy Nancy's podcast and the page is Nosy Nancy's. Podcast. Podcast. They're both podcasts? Yeah. Nosy Nancy's podcast. All right. Well, they're both Nosy Nancy's podcasts. That makes it easy. Um, also, if you do like our podcast, if you don't mind like sharing it and, and, um, giving us a rating on Spotify or whatever platform you use to listen to us, cause it does help us be heard by other people, hopefully in the city of Austin or around the city of Austin. So we can get some of these cases like out in the open. That would be very much appreciated. Five stars, uh, please. Five stars, yeah. Anything less, and you're dead to us. Yeah. Um, We're cutting you off. Blocking you. We're cutting you off. Blocked. Um, You can also... What else do we have? Well, we have TikTok. We don't really get on there. Oh. Yeah, if you have any, like, if you have a story, or if you have somebody that that is missing, or you need help with something, or you want to just tell us stuff if you just want to send us memes i don't care you could do that through our email <laughs> it's nosy nancy's at gmail.com that's n-o-s-e-y-n-a-n-c-i-e-s at gmail.com and i think that's like basically it that's basically it for this one that was crazy uh, it was a it, it was, was a crazy, crazy one uh i just want to say real quick thanks to zach and amanda again for coming in last episode because that was a fucking trip too yeah that was incredible you guys did amazing i'm excited for the next special all right say la vie